Hey, in uh, some moments ahead, we are going to be receiving communion together. So hopefully on the way in, you picked up uh, a little like single serve communion packet. If you did not, if you missed it somehow, if you'd wave your hands, because we're going to have an usher come by and make sure you got one. Does anybody need communion? Just go ahead and keep your hand up. Here comes Mr. Rico, and uh, he'll make sure that you are blessed with some communion. And if you are watching online, we are so thankful for you participating with us. Maybe you're even listening on the podcast. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to pause uh, the podcast or the video and uh, that you would even go right now and get some communion elements, some bread, some juice, some crackers, some wine, and, and get that ready so that you'll be able to participate with us in some just some moments ahead when we conclude. But today, um, we're going to be talking from Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Just the first two verses of Titus chapter 3. And in the last weeks, when there's been kind of this uh, renewed conversation about masks, no masks, vaccine, no vaccine, what the government is saying, what the government is not saying, just all of the conversation around these topics, God led me to this very challenging and yet hopeful passage of uh, Titus chapter 3, and especially these first couple of verses that we're going to be um, looking at. In fact, if you would read them along with me, we'll put it up on the screen, or if you have your Bible with you, Titus 3, the first couple of verses, Paul is writing to his young ministry leader friend, Titus, and he says this. He says, remind the people. Who's the people? Well, right now it's us, right? We're, we're reading this because we're being reminded. So, Turn to somebody next to you, elbow them, and say, remember. Come on, say, remember. Because Paul is writing saying, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Then he goes on and says, to slander no one to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. Now listen, there are at least two messages contained within verse one and verse two. Now in that first verse, I mean, it is all about being obedient, like literally subject to the governmental leaders that God has placed over us. And elsewhere in scripture, we we read that even all authority is given by God himself. And it says that we are to be subject to them, to even be obedient to them. And then listen, in light of everything that we've seen, like how our government is handled, all the crises that we've been through as a nation, I mean, some people are going, really? Like, be obedient, be, and because I think, listen, there's a question that we all kind of come to in moments like this, and that is, do I follow the leadership of the authorities that God has put over me in this moment, or 
Do I stand up and fight? Do I follow right now or do I fight? Do I fight like decisions that are being processed by a government that is over me that I truly believe kind of stand in the way of God's mission to the world? And that's a really important question. You know, when do we follow and when do we stand up and fight and say, no, this, this, these things are unjust or, or not right? Or, and, and those are important questions. And God's word, I believe, has lots of answers. But that's not what we're talking about today. That is the topic of another forthcoming message. That's going to be a message, Christian Conduct 1.0. But today we're skipping to Christian Conduct 2.0. Because if you thought that that particular verse, verse one about being obedient and subject, if you thought that was challenging, well, guess what? We're getting to verse two, and I think verse two is even more challenging. Oh, I think it is even more challenging than verse one, because, because and let's look at it again real quickly together, just verse two. We're to slander no one, to be peaceable, and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. See, here's what I believe makes this verse two exceptionally challenging, totally challenging. In verse one, it's about our leaders and authorities. Okay, so we just focus on them and, uh, you know, okay, when, you know, when do I be obedient? God's calling me to be obedient to them. All right, what does that look like? That's great, but verse two, it's not just about our governmental leaders and authorities, it says, everyone. Oh, these things, like, we're not to slander, we're to be peaceable, we're to be considerate, we're to be gentle towards everyone. And that's a lot of people, that's a lot of folk included in that one word, everyone. In fact, Paul is emphasizing this so much to Titus that in one sentence, he underscores this three different ways. Three different ways he talks about the everyone aspect of what he's saying. First of all, he says, slander no one. Everybody say no one. At the end of the verse, he says to be gentle toward who? Everyone. And then he also says that we're to do these things all Always, always, three times in one sentence. Like, no, these things are supposed to be how we conduct ourselves as Christians towards the entire world around us, not only to government, authorities, leaders, but to our families, to our neighbors, to those around us sitting in this building as a church family. This is how we are to conduct ourselves to everyone, always. And that is super challenging to all of us, me included, because I think a lot of us go, everyone? <laughs> always? And we can start to like think of like specific people, specific groups of people, that are like, I, yeah, 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 I don't, I don't know if I can go down that road. I mean, like, what about people that I really don't like? 
What about people who I believe are making really significantly poor life choices? What about people, those people who believe so different than me politically? What about those people who are actually kind of like actively hateful toward me? Really? Like everyone? Really, God? Everyone? Always? What do you think I am? Like a saint? You know, like, don't you know this like fights against my very nature. And I would say you're right. It does fight against everything that is natural within a whole lot of us as just as human beings. And we're gonna get to that, our nature part. Like, how is this possible? This fights against my nature. But before we receive communion, we wanna take just a closer look, kind of double click on these four behaviors, these areas of conduct that Paul is writing to Titus and really to us about as believers. How are we supposed to behave? as high school graduates that we just prayed over, as college graduates that we just prayed over, as fathers here on Father's Day. Like, listen to these words and begin to say, wow, how will that impact my life if these are the kinds of behaviors that I'm supposed to have in my life as a believer in Jesus? So, number one, Paul writes to Titus and he says, slander, no one, slander no one. You might be interested to know that the actual word that Paul used here is the word blaspheme. Blaspheme, like that's the actual word. Like if you look it up in Greek, it's like, it's the word for blaspheme. Like blasphemio uh, is the word in Greek. And it's like, whoa, that's like a heavy duty word that we're not to do to people. And what that means is that we are not to speak evil over them. It's, it's like why scripture tells us that we are not to blaspheme God because we're not to ever like use his name lightly. Uh, you know, the third commandment, right? The third, third commandment, you know, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Um, it, because it's like doing that is like speaking evil of the Lord. Well, not only are we not to blaspheme or speak evil about God, but we're not to speak evil about anyone. Slander no one, or, you know, kind of in our common uh, language, you know, we would say, do not throw shade on anyone. No shade throwing, Paul says. And we recognize this is so hard because some people really deserve it. You know, I mean, and there's some of us, and I include myself in this very intently. It's like when I see something that I believe is wrong or stupid, <laughs> I want to say something. I mean, isn't that what we're taught in school? See something, say something. <laughs> when I see something that's stupid or wrong, I'm just kind of like, I just want to like dive in there and like, hey, hey. Who are you? What are you doing? What do you, what do you think's going on here? I just immediately kind of want to go on the attack and at times compromise what scripture tells me here that I 
and to slander no one. This is incredibly challenging. And like I said, in the world in which we live today, when there's all these crises and then people who are trying to respond to the crisis, we don't like how they're, and so it's like it's so easy for us to begin to point fingers, name names, and say, that person, what are they doing? Or people that have varying opinions. And I'll tell you what, within this room and in our online audience, I can tell you there's probably five different really good opinions when it comes to masks, to vaccines, to whatever, you know, might be the, the, the conversation of today. And it's so easy to look at people who are in a different camp, who have, have a different idea, and to begin to speak evil about them. And it breaks my heart because, I mean, sometimes I even see that, like, within the body of Christ. Like one group, will, you call yourself a Christian because dot, dot, dot. You know what? That's speaking evil about that person. Or if you're a Christian, you should do dot, dot, dot. And really what it's doing is saying, I don't trust how you're following Jesus. Oh, this is so difficult to keep our mouths shut. <laughs> when I grew up, my mom had a particular phrase for this. She said that many people, and she was looking at me when she would say this, have oral diarrhea. If <laughs> you ever had oral diarrhea, I just can't help myself, it's coming. I can't stop it. But you know what? Evidently, we can stop it because we're being instructed by God's word. Stop it. Keep your mouth closed. Don't, don't slander. Not anyone. Not even those people who really, you think, deserve it. In fact, James, in chapter 3 of his letter in Scripture, gets after the mouth and gets after the tongue. And he says that, yes, it's so challenging that if you can control your mouth, you are a perfect person. Oh. And then he goes on further and listen to what he says in James 3 five and six. He says a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness. I mean, it's just like slander, speaking evil, speaking discouragement, speaking poorly, All of that. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. And he finishes by saying, it can set your whole life on fire. Not in a good way. Destructive fire. Not like, woo, look at me, I'm shining bright for Jesus. No, the opposite. <laughs> because he says, for it is a fire, it is set on fire by hell itself. So what we see is these slanderous words, these accusations, these discouragements, this like saying, you are blah, blah, blah. It's from hell itself. That's why Paul is saying, slander no one. Now, is there a place for speaking truth to power? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is. 
But we're also instructed in scripture in so many different ways and places that whatever comes out of our mouth really reveals what's in our heart. And so even as truth, hard truth may need to come out of our mouth, it needs to be marked by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, including like long suffering, (laughs) love, kindness, gentleness. Well, Well, we'll keep going. So the second thing, The second behavior, the second form of conduct that uh, Paul says to Titus that these things need to be reminded, we need to be activating these things in our life, is to be peaceable. Peaceable. Again, when we believe that others are wrong, sometimes they are, our tendency, our nature, we could say, is for many of us to pick a fight. But here we're told to like lay down arms, lay down our weapons and stop fighting. Stop fighting over these things. Instead of picking a fight, we're to stop the fight. But I'm so passionate about these topics, pastor. You don't know how passionate I am. You know what? I think I do. I think I do. You know, because we pick it up from each other. We pick up each other's passions. We know what, what like really gets you going. You know, whether it's politics, whether it's the Raiders. I don't know. You know, it's like we know what different ones are passionate about. And oftentimes when people say things or do things that we disagree with those things we're passionate about, those them are fighting words. Right? And so we just kind of jump to the fight. We just want to raise our fists and say, you're so wrong. I so appreciate one of the leaders in our church family who I believe demonstrated to me in a very practical way what it means to be peaceable. In a conversation this past week, and it was, had to do with vaccinations actually, the leader and I were talking about this and, and the leader just said, you know what, when someone approaches me and, you know, and they've, this comes up in conversation these days and says, well, what do you think? You know, are you vaccinated? Are you not vaccinated? This leader just said, I am closing my mouth. I will just respectfully share with that person who's asking the question that, you know what, we're just not going to talk about that today. I'm not going to engage with that because this person knows that for many, this is a divisive issue. Wow. And I just thought, as I just thought about that afterwards, I thought, there is such wisdom in that because when someone else, because we don't know what's going on in the soul of that other person, that very possibly maybe they're looking to pick a fight or to sharpen their sword, uh, you know, against yours or whatever. And And we have to be sensitive to know when it's not time to engage with particular conversations in those contexts. Now, have them at home, you know. uh, If you want a safe person to have a conversation with, I could probably direct you to a few of those individuals. But like, I just so appreciate it because Jesus even took this be peaceable one step further when he said, blessed are the peacemakers. That means like in intentionally, consciously saying, I am going to do things not only to not fight, 
but I'm gonna stop the fight. I'm gonna like dive in here and I'm gonna like say, no, 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 where this could be divisive, where this could be, uh, you know, a fight. I'm gonna just step in and just say, no, we're, we're just not gonna go there. We're, we're just gonna allow peace to reign right here over this. This is not worth fighting over. We're just gonna lay down arms. We're gonna be peaceable. And when I heard what that leader told me, that's what I was reminded of, that that was an intentional act to be a peacemaker. Third thing that Paul writes to Titus after he says to be peaceable, um, this one probably for me, maybe, maybe the most challenging and maybe almost foundational for the other three, and that is this, to be considerate, to be considerate of others. Listen, our natural tendency is to view life through our own little lens of my life, my experiences, my education, the things that I've heard and I've read and I've put my belief in, all, you know, my culture, my heritage, all of that, but it's all really a pretty small little lens that we tend to look at life with. And to be considerate means that I have to kind of blow that up to consider the other. Being considerate has all about considering the other. And it is so difficult to do because we just grab our little telescope or microscope and look just through our little lens at the world around us. But God is reminding us, no, I didn't call you to just live as an island unto yourself. You are part of something bigger than yourself. We must be people who consider the other. So I want to ask you a question. When's the last time, this is just a little, little activation here, when is the last time you have considered your neighbor? Right, I mean, right, just, I want you to think about it. Literally, the person who lives next door to you. Just pick one, right or left, behind, in front. Considering your neighbor. I've got some questions for you to think about. Would you be able to answer these questions about that neighbor? How did they grow up? What made up their family's history? What sorrows and traumas have they experienced in life? What makes them truly happy? What in life are they looking forward to? And when did they begin believing what they believe and why? Those sort of questions kind of explode our little personal looking glass and help us to begin to consider that other person. Why they may think differently than I do about God. Why they may think differently about our political system and who's the president or who's not the president. They may, it may cause them to have developed different beliefs than maybe that I have about a whole range of topics. 
But unless I deeply consider someone else, you know what? I'm probably going to be operating with dangerously little information about who that person truly is. And you know what it's going to lead me to do? It's going to lead me to slander. It's going to lead me to want to pick up my fists and fight. It's going to want to lead me to not being gentle at all towards that person because I have not considered them. Hey, yesterday was pretty important for our nation. Because yesterday, June 19th, was Juneteenth. Juneteenth. For probably for a lot of us, we're, we're still kind of maybe, you know, what, what, what is that all about? What is Juneteenth all about? And, what, you know, why, um, you know, do blacks in America hold that as something, many of them, you know, very, very important? Well, it had to do with the fact that in 1863, uh, there was, well, actually in 1862, there was a proclamation, the Emancipation Proclamation, that ended slavery. It was enacted on January 1st, 1863. But there were many people, hundreds of thousands of African Americans, Americans, living in our country who didn't get the word. And it wasn't until over two years later, June 19th, 1865, like two and a half years, that they were free. They didn't know it. They'd still been actively enslaved. And so Juneteenth commemorates the day that the army came into Galveston, Texas, and went from place to place, including an African-American church. Could you imagine when, they, when, when the people heard the news? You are free. You are free. You are free. And so it's not the day of the Emancipation Proclamation. It's the day when people found out we are free. And that's a pretty amazing thing. So yesterday, you know, because this is like pretty new to me. I mean, I've heard of it before. And this year it became a national holiday. So the first time, like, as a nation, we're recognizing and celebrating the freedom for our African-American brothers and sisters. But yesterday... I took a few minutes and just reached out to a few African-American members of our church family and, and just kind of wished them hope for the, their future on Juneteenth, that as they look to the future, that it would be brighter because of this. Um, all three of them wrote back very kindly, and, and one of them wrote back this. I wanted you to think about this, about considering the other, because you probably could tell I'm not black. <clears throat> but my black friend wrote back and said this, it's been a long day coming. I mean, in those few words, there is so much deep reality, a lived experience that's not mine a lived experience that, ha, that, that I will never fully understand, but you know what I can do? I can do what Paul said. As a believer, as someone who is committed to the other, I can put myself just a little bit more seeing an expanded view through my friend's reality, through his experience, through the traumas and sorrows that he has lived and experienced. It's been a long time coming. 
You know, I wouldn't have ever heard those words if I had not just reached out to say, hey, may you have hope today. Happy Juneteenth. And it was just that little thing that, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back, but I'm just saying it's those little things that we can do to expand our understanding, to get to the heart of what may be going on in someone else, to be considerate. The last thing that Paul says, number four, I'm going to invite Ellie to come up and and join me up here as we kind of get our hearts now ready for communion. But he says to be gentle. Be gentle. Be gentle has to do with not pushing our own agenda onto other people. Again, super difficult to do. Super difficult. Difficult to, because we all have one, you know? We do have passions. We do have things that, you know, that we hold very firmly and truly. Listen, I have an agenda, and it's, I, I, it's the mission of Jesus. I want people to hear that. That is my, right? That is my agenda, stated agenda. But being gentle has to do with me not pushing that on someone who's not ready, who's not asking to receive of that. It's not taking the gospel and beating people over the head with it. Because I think there's been a lot of people that have been turned off to Jesus because people have not been gentle. About how they just live their life and share the good news. I wonder, like me, have you ever been getting on a freeway on-ramp? Tried to get on the freeway, and there was an aggressive driver. They would not let you in. Man, they're like, they won't speed up, they won't slow down, like, and man, in our area on the Central Coast, we have some short on-ramps, I'll tell you. There's a few of them. Some of us, maybe, we've been the aggressive driver, not letting people merge. We've been aggressive rather than gentle. You know, being gentle has to do with not boxing people out. Being gentle has to do with making room for other people. People that may, we may disagree with, we may have some issues, or we may, we may naturally be at odds a bit. Being gentle has to do with not boxing people out, but inviting them in. Scripture tells us this, that if we do that, guess what? We're gonna be able to be close enough to people that maybe we'll have the opportunity to be gentle in another way. Because in 2 Timothy 2.25, when Paul was writing to another young leader, he said this, he said, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Gently instruct people who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. I, you know, I love that because what that's saying, there is a truth. But if we do not allow people to merge into our lane, to merge into do life alongside of us, we're never gonna have the opportunity to then begin to gently instruct them in the ways of the Lord. We are called to not be aggressive, but to be gentle. 
Do not slander. Be peaceable. Consider the other. And allow people to merge into our lives, not boxing them out by being gentle. These are challenging. And like I said, they go against our nature. Because we want to box people out. We want to speak evil against whomever and whatever that doesn't match up to what we think should be happening. But I'm wondering, is it perhaps that Jesus is calling us to these kinds of behaviors and this kind of conduct because he's wanting us to be different, substantially different from the world around us. Listen, because if we slander and we're non-gentle and we pick up our fists as believers, as followers of Jesus, and the world out there is looking at us, they're going, you're no different than we are. You have, there's nothing going on in your life. Why would I want to be one of you? Because you're just as angry. The words coming out of your mouth are just as hurtful and vile. And so we're called to this challenging, challenging thing of having a new nature. And that's what this is about. That is what communion represents. When I said, how do we get after these things because they go against our nature? It's like, yep, we all agree. But Jesus died that we would be made new. That we would have a new nature that would allow us to take on these behaviors, not because they're natural to us, because they are supernatural. And they are things that, if we're gonna have these things in our lives, is because we're empowered by him and he made this possible. We're gonna conclude by reading the next verses that came right after Titus 3, 1 and 2. Because he goes on and he says, in verses 3 through 6, he says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. In other words, we just lived naturally because that's our nature to just walk in this enslavement to all the things around us. He goes on to say, we lived in malice, like angry, just and envy, being hated and hating one another. Man, I think he may be talking about our lives here. But, oh, listen to this, but. And just hold this cup with the bread and the juice and think about this. But when the kindness and love of God appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. 
He saved us through the washing of rebirth, right? Rebirth, born again because of the cross, because of his spilled blood and broken body, we can be made new. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Renewed. You have a new nature because of Jesus, whom he poured out upon us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so now would you take of the bread representing the broken body of Jesus who made this possible, who made it possible for our mouths to be redeemed and words that would come from our mouths would be of encouragement and strength to others to build them up and to not tear them down, to speak good of them and not evil. That makes it possible for us to live peaceably, to consider the other, to be gentle, to allow people into our lives. So Lord, we take of your broken body and now we eat in remembrance of what you did for us. And in the same way, we take of the cup. Recognizing that this renewed life being born again in Jesus came at a price. And it was the very blood of God himself, Jesus on the cross, who made this possible for us. So Jesus, we are so grateful, Lord, for what you have done for us. And so now we drink in memory of you commemorating what you did for us, what you take and you drink. And I'm gonna invite our ministry team to come forward. And listen, if you are someone that has really dealt with, struggled through any of these things, maybe you're someone that's like, man, I love Jesus, but I just don't know how I'm gonna be able to keep my mouth shut. I just don't know how it's possible. You know what, we wanna pray for you. Or maybe you're someone that says, you know what, I have never submitted myself to the saving grace of Jesus. I've never come to the cross and allowed him to do his renewal work in my life. You've never been born again. You know what, some of my friends right up here would like to pray for you today, to talk with you, to welcome you into God's family. Or maybe you just need prayer in another area. Maybe you're sick. Maybe there's something that's broken in your body and you just say, you know what, I need prayer. We are here today to pray for you. But dads and grads, may you be blessed and empowered today to walk out the seasons ahead with a conduct that is formed by Jesus himself. And may we all go out and be the kind of people that are gonna allow people into our lives so that we'll be able to gently lead them to Jesus. You with me? Church, be blessed this week. Be encouraged as you go. You are loved. Have a great Father's Day. Love you.